welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Will Smith and Chris Rock and the slap heard round the world. A coach who assaulted a little league umpire at home plate because the coach thought the kid was out, not safe. A war in Ukraine and every other day a war on an airplane. A drunk passenger screaming because they can't get another Jack and Coke. A subway shooting in New York, a mass killing in Sacramento, and on and on we could go when we haven't even mentioned the personal challenges we may be facing in our lives. These days when we stick our finger in the wind or put our ear to the ground and just for a moment pay attention to what is stirring, the conversations people seem to be having regularly, the overall vibe, if you will, that is in the air, I believe an increasing number of us feel like the world just might be spinning out of control. There's so much tension, so much violence, so much turmoil. The world these days feels rather delicate, and the future feels rather fragile. I may be in the minority, but I, for one, am maxed out on the bickering and the bantering over the various theories and proposals as to why we are where we are, who or what is responsible, and who or what can deliver us from this evil. And while all of this is in one sense bad news, I would suggest to you it can also be clarifying news. Because at least for me, the more the world spirals out of control, the less the abstract theories and intellectual debates scratch at the real itch inside of me. You know the itch I'm talking about. The one within. The one we feel every now and then as life happens. The one we can't quite name or figure out how to scratch. My sense is that as the out-of-controlness rises, the itch gets itchier. The madness, in other words, kind of awakens a hunger within us for something more. Maybe hope is as good of a name as anything. So I will tell you, I come to this Resurrection Sunday with zero interest in a head-based lecture about the resurrection of Jesus, but rather with a deep, passionate desire to experience and feel the beautiful hope the resurrection offers. So let's bring our present confusion, our current fear, our overwhelming concerns, and maybe our discouragement into the next few moments of this Easter Sunday because the resurrection has something to say to these kinds of things. And I want to actually be so daring as to invite you to unlock the doors and throw open the windows of your heart. And let's feel in a fresh way the beautiful hope the resurrection offers to people like us living in times like these. To help us with this, I'm going to read one of the best stories in the Bible and an absolute remarkable story as it relates to the resurrection. It comes from Luke chapter 24. I'm going to read this in 
three blocks. I'll start with verses 13 through 24. Eventually, we'll get our way all the way through verse 35. But we'll talk about this as we go. This is after the resurrection. It begins in Luke 24, and it starts in verse 13. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. This story occurs literally just hours after the resurrection. These two friends are hiking the seven miles from Jerusalem back to the village of Emmaus where they lived, and they are discussing and even debating the events that have occurred in the city over the weekend. And they're troubled by what happened. They can't connect the dots. They're discouraged. Maybe they feel similar to how some of us feel as we think about our world. Out of nowhere, the risen Jesus joins them. He has a physical body. He walked, he ate, he looked like he did before he died. But Jesus, or Luke says these two friends were kept from recognizing Jesus, which kind of adds to the mystery. So now, as the three of them walked on, Jesus asked what they had been discussing, and they basically say, what rock have you been living under? Kind of multiple layers to that phrase. Maybe a little bit of a lame dad joke in there as well. But then they begin to tell Jesus about Jesus. This is where this is just so weird. They're telling Jesus about Jesus. Again, it's a cool and weird story. These two friends are discouraged because, as they put it in one of the verses I read, we had hoped he was the one. Indulge me. Not thought he was the one. Not determined he was the one. Not concluded he was the one. That's all language of the head. They hoped Jesus was the one. Language of the heart. Language of the itch. They hoped Jesus would free Israel. But their hope died when he died. And now adding to their discouragement and to their confusion, his grave is reported to be empty. One of the things I like about the resurrection story is that initially, none of Jesus' disciples believed he had risen from the dead. Not a single one. Who would believe that? It's crazy talk. I don't care who we are, what era we live in, or how sophisticated the technology. It is easier to not believe in the resurrection because 
death has a pretty good success rate. 100% of those who have ever lived have eventually died and stayed died. Every disciple in the bunch, every disciple of Jesus, reacted to the initial reports that Jesus was risen the same way many of us do or did with an emphatic no way. Nice idea, but not possible. Some of them had even seen Jesus bend the rules of science and defy the laws of nature. They'd seen him heal diseased bodies, but rising from the dead is a next-level miracle. It's a miracle on steroids, we might say. So when people hear the story of Jesus' resurrection, their understandable first response is usually, (laughs) no way. And here's a little secret. There are many who are in church gatherings most weeks of the year, and their response to the resurrection is a whispered, no way. No way is logical. No way makes sense. Because dead people don't wake up. But in another sense, no way is a head response to a problem on paper, to a conundrum in a case study. But the resurrection is about an encounter, an experience that involves far more than our heads. So we come to verses 25 through 29 of our story. Jesus said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly. Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with him. I love Luke's play-by-play. The three had been talking, mostly the two of them, and Jesus just kind of lets them drone on and share their ignorance. And finally he says, in essence, my words, my translation, not exact, but close enough, you guys have no clue what you're talking about. Remember, these are religious guys. They know their stuff. They grew up with all this stuff. Or at least they think they know their stuff. But Jesus effectively says, you want to live out of your head? At least get your facts straight. You think you know what the prophets were talking about? You think you know what the Messiah is going to be and do? You don't know squat. You think that what you think reflects reality, but you don't actually know what you claim to know. I don't know if I mentioned these are religious guys. They grew up learning this stuff. Jesus basically says your love of certainty has blinded you to the possibility that there is more to knowing than knowing it in your head. Or more simply, true knowledge is a head and heart game. The two friends eventually came to their street. They were going home for the night. And Luke says... Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. Such a great little descriptive line of this story. He just keeps on walking. Hey, nice chatting with you. But here's the thing. 
and it's a crucial thing, this is the turning point for these two friends. That itch I mentioned at the beginning, Jesus was scratching it in these two guys. They felt something stirring within them as they talked with him. So, Luke says, they urged him strongly to stay for dinner. Something in them was moved by this Jesus. Suddenly, we're in an encounter. Suddenly, it's an experience. Their hearts, their inner being, the place where that itch is, is starting to move and it's starting to quake. And with that, their no way to the resurrection was becoming a, hmm, you know how it is. Something jams up our certainty and leaves us with a, hmm. Something sneaks past the well-fortified defenses in our heads and somehow gets down into the rest of us, gets down into the heart, and the emphatic no way becomes hmm, something like a new baby or a video of a soldier reuniting with his father he hasn't seen in two years or a soulful song by a soulful singer or a paragraph by a poet Or maybe the something is a loving word or action from someone who matters to us and their word or their action applies salve to a deep soul wound we carry and for a moment, ever so briefly, makes us go, hmm. Our two friends felt the rising of the hmm as Jesus talked with them on the road. And what they thought they knew here, was starting to spill and expand and leak into here, and wonder was rising. I can know all there is to know about the principles and details of Dr. Murray Bowen's family systems theory. But that knowledge is incomplete until I hold my two-year-old daughter and she draws out the in me. Or hug my grown son at his wedding, and the hug is so powerful and so freeing, it draws out the hmm in me. See, I don't really know something. I don't really know something until I hmm in front of it. You probably are aware of this. Religious interest is rapidly declining. It's going the opposite direction of our gas prices. It's going down. And maybe one reason is because we have deleted the hmm out of the story. Certainty has replaced mystery. Us creating God in our image has replaced God creating us in his image. Faith has become a formula Tough questions get slogan answers. The Bible is a weapon instead of a story. The church feels like a corporation, not a family. Christians are often anti-things. Jesus would seem to be for, and for things, Jesus would seem to be against. And the unholy union of religion and politics 
seems like a match made in hell. So maybe religious interest is declining because the hmm is declining. And yet we still drive the ocean and drive to the ocean and stare at it. Not to study the science of waves, but to be enchanted, to find wonder, to encounter something bigger than us, something grander than us, something that all by itself can summon the hmm out of us. One author puts it this way, the most secular of us all are haunted by transcendence. We itch for something bigger and grander. Jesus cracked open a new world for these two friends by giving them a bigger and grander vision of God and a bigger and grander vision of what God was doing in history. And remember, they thought they already knew this stuff. I can't remember if I mentioned they were religious people. I think I did. But Jesus is slowly converting their no-way certainty into a, hmm, I wonder. See, resurrected Jesus is a sight and a sound from another world, which is why they can't yet see him or hear him. But something in them is intrigued. Something in them is drawn. Their curiosity is flickering. The, hmm, is rising, and they can feel themselves drawn by the possibility of a world where God was king in ways they never before fathomed. Jesus was trying to help them see that God was bigger than their ideas of him, and God was bigger than their imagination of him, and his story was grander than they had comprehended, and something in them could feel the truth of what he was saying. In their own words, in verse 32, they say to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Weren't our hearts burning within us? It was real. This is higher and deeper knowledge than they've ever had before because it was experiential knowledge. It's not just head-knowing, it's whole self-knowing. It's facts encountered, not just debated. And maybe in a world where God was this kind of king, who had this kind of power, who generated this kind of inner burn, maybe in this new world, death was not the final word. So then verses 30 to 35, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. On the walk home from Jerusalem a few hours ago, these two friends were discouraged and defeated. Imagine how they felt now. On the walk back to Jerusalem, their discouragement had become joy. Their defeat had become victory. The tide had turned. Their itch was scratched. Their hope came back to life 
Because Jesus came back to life and everything, everything was forever changed. I am, again, perhaps only speaking for myself, but in these chaotic days in which we are living, I want to feel hope. But the hope has to be in something solid and substantial and reliable over the long haul. So that rules out politics. That rules out politicians. Money doesn't make the cut. Pleasure is not qualified. Happiness is certainly preferred over sadness, but happiness is not sturdy enough to hold my hope. I want to feel the beauty of an authentic hope that won't collapse when the world collapses or when my world collapses. And the only thing I know that checks all those boxes is a man named Jesus who claimed to be God in the flesh and he taught and he modeled a new way to live. Then he suffered under the world's superpower, Rome. On Friday, he died on a Roman cross, but then on Sunday, he rose from the dead. No way. Hmm. Wow. I doubt these two friends slept on it and went to Jerusalem the next morning. I doubt they packed a bag. I doubt they put the garbage cans out, took a nap, or watched their favorite show before they headed back to Jerusalem. Why? Because the wow of it all put a burn in them they'd never experienced. It was the burn of an unfathomable, incomprehensible, indescribable, transformative truth. An actual solid, verifiable piece of knowledge they had encountered and experienced in the person of Jesus who had risen from the dead. Wow. When he walked out of his grave, it was the beginning of a whole new world where Jesus is supreme. He's in a league of his own. And by his power, Dead things are raised and old things are made new. So the world's superpower squared off against the cosmic superpower. Rome won round one and a giant stone covered the grave. Then the giant stone rolled back and God won the match. Wow. So now Rome and sin and evil and death are no longer supreme. Jesus is supreme. And his project to renew and transform the dead into the living and the old into the new entered a whole new phase. Friends, this is the Christian message. This is the good news. This is where resurrection engulfs and swallows whole the chaos and confusion and discouragement of this present moment. Because now, everywhere there is the scent of death or the signs of sin or the marks of evil, like actors slapping each other, countries invading each other, people killing each other with weapons or with words, wherever there is pain, brokenness, violence, sexual disorder, racism, suffering, the resurrected Jesus wants to bring hope and renewal and life and goodness 
right there. Wow. Wherever there are remnants of Rome or the presence of evil or the signs of sin or the scent of death in me or in you, and there are plenty, at least in me, the resurrected Jesus wants to bring hope and renewal and life and goodness. Wow. In the resurrection, God began to restore the world and make it right. And he did it by showing his supremacy over evil's greatest power, something we call death. Life over death. And someday, God's work of renewal and restoration will reach into every corner of this universe. And the Bible says on that day, so once again, feel this. Fling open the windows and unlock the door of your heart and let this in. On that day, there will be, the Bible says, no more pain, no more death, no more sickness, no more slaps, no more invasions, no more shootings, no more screaming, no more loneliness, no more fear, no more poverty, no more racism, no more tears. Hope resuscitated in the resurrection of Jesus will one day feel this, let it in, will one day be fully and completely realized. So we have hope today because Jesus is alive and no matter how chaotic or tumultuous the world is or our lives are, hope makes sense because the stone moved and the grave is empty. God is on his way to breathing new life into what is dead and transforming the old into the new. Our heads are not in the sand. Pain, as you and I know, is still real. Cancer still happens. Some marriages don't make it. But Jesus has risen, so the tide has turned, and the burn of this truth, the burn of this experience, knowledge, compels us to respond somehow. Walk away from it. Say, no thanks. Say, no way. Mock it, if you will. Laugh at it. Say yes to it. Say wow to it, but somehow respond. Because God will do this work of resurrection and renewal only in those who want him to do it. He loves us too much to force us into something we don't want. Jesus continued on as if he were going farther but they urged him strongly to stay. And I want to say something here. I realize at times the church, the big C thing, and the evangelical system, the evangelical machine, as well as not just the big C church, but this church, Oak Hills Church, and this guy, Mike Lucan, 
act and react and speak and don't speak in ways that make the whole religious enterprise unattractive and unappealing. And I wish that wasn't so. And I'm sorry that it is so. The church is a mess, just like the world is a mess. But at least on this day, today, I'm not inviting you to respond to a religious enterprise. I'm inviting you to respond to a person who is alive. So it is my privilege to invite every single one of you here or at home to surrender to Jesus, the resurrected King. Invite him into your life. Put your trust in him. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Give your whole heart to him. Entrust your whole life to him. Follow him. Hope in him. He is solid. He is real. He is true. And here's the kicker. You matter to him. He loves you. He died for you and he waits for you to return to him. Not in your head only, but in your head and in your heart and in your whole being. In him is life, the Bible says. Real life. The one you've been looking for. In him, the itch finally gets scratched. Wow. So today is a day for a party and not a little one. Be sure to pop a cork today. Eat a steak or a big portobello mushroom if you're vegan. Eat french fries today. Skip broccoli today. Eat dessert multiple times. Laugh. Listen to some soul-stirring music. Hug those you love and hug them hard like you're never letting go. Celebrate into the night because even though it doesn't seem like it here on April 17th, 2022, even though the world seems out of control, someday all will be well. No way. The, res the resurrection is the security deposit that someday everything that wants to will be restored. Hmm. Death itself is going to die someday. So feel the hope today. Feel it in your bones. Feel it down in your guts and in your soul because the tide has turned and God is well on his way to making everything new and good that wants to be new and good. Wow. Would you pray with me? On this day, on this good day, on this unique day, in the midst of these unique times, in the face of these 
discouraging circumstances, we stare straight into the eyes of this trouble and we say, Jesus Christ is King. He has risen from the dead. Wherever there is the scent of death or evil or Rome or sin, Jesus Christ is stronger because he lives. And Jesus, I pray that somehow, some way, you would take this simple idea and shuttle it from our heads into our whole being so that we just don't think you are the one. We actually hope you are the one and we gradually come to know in our heads, in our hearts, in our guts, and in our souls. That you are the one. So we proclaim you, we worship you, we lift your name up above every other name in every universe. And we celebrate that you're alive. Amen.